Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, good morning, and again, welcome to Glory Church Online. It is so good to have you, Glory family. If you are listening right now in a small group, I am thankful for you to be joining in. Maybe you're listening on your own. Thank you. Please, I encourage you to engage in this morning's message. It is so powerful when we can uh, still engage with each other, comment, all right, respond as you see fit. And in fact, Right now, family, go ahead and get on Facebook if you're watching all together and share this morning's message. Invite people to watch with you. Maybe you're listening in for the first time yourself or listening on the Glory Podcast. Thank you for joining us. My name, for those of you who are new, is Greg McKinney, and my wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church, and you are joining in on week four of a series we began a couple weeks ago called Hope in the Home. Hope in the Home, and my hope is that you've been encouraged by it, Glory family, but you can actually find every one of the past messages on our website or on the Glory Podcast. I encourage you to dive into them, but this morning, if possible, can, uh, can I be a little bit vulnerable with you? Because if I'm completely raw and authentic, this past week, I needed to study this morning's message. I needed it. God spoke immensely to me, and I needed to be able to to go through that process in order to stand before you now. I needed this message. In fact, uh, as the countdown ticks for us to be able to be together again, which is August 2nd, all right, guys, we have two Sundays left of just exclusive online, but as the countdown ticks to that Sunday morning, uh, also is this growth in my anxiety. I don't know if you know this about pastors, but we struggle all the time with feeling like they, we have more than enough to do, yet uh, not enough time, or we, we feel like we, we should be doing more, or we feel behind or less than. That's just the life of a pastor, and I'm confident that you can sit there with me. But over the course of this past week in studying this, God met me. Because what we're dealing with this morning is a an issue that the enemy can prod in us that relates to this. Because over the next two weeks, we have some pretty exciting things coming up. As you've already heard, we get to serve together this next Saturday. I invite you to join us, maybe for the first time. Text in whether you want to be at the YMCA or on Truce and meet us and serve together. And then the next week is a big one, right? The week before we reopen, we relaunch. Uh, we are going to both have a training, a time together, uh, an encouraging time with our serve team volunteers. And that's you, whether you uh, have served before or, or are encouraged and excited about serving, maybe starting for the first time, we're just wanting to have a brunch. And so maybe that means you, you want to serve in a greeting team or you want to figure out what it looks like to serve in, in kids or on the audio or as a hospitality or a safety team, whatever it looks like, uh, we want you to take that step and join us that morning, that Saturday from nine to noon. My wife and I, Kate and I, we just want to pray over you. We want to pray over our teams. We want to encourage you, bless you, send you out with some revisioning as the the, the season starts over, essentially. Uh, because what is to come in August, 
uh, though we are meeting back together, things have to look differently. We have more volunteers needed than ever before so that we can keep things clean, safe, and, and controlled. And so please join in. My hope is that we can have the majority of our Glory family there that Saturday morning so that we can all be together because that means that the, the majority of our church is serving or is desiring to serve. So make a note of that. All right, we, we're going to hopefully have no kids there. So get uh, the, the needed uh, babysitters for that. We ourselves are, are doing that. And so I would love to just bless you. And then, of course, that next day is our worship night our worship night where we get to, to already uh, worship together before that next Sunday happens at the YMCA or worship night at Gillen Park. And already we've had some really cool response on social media. So I'm excited to worship together. But I say all of those things, not just to remind you, but to just get in your mind as things pick back up. One thing I know to be true is that there is going to be a lie spoken by the enemy in my heart, in our hearts. In fact, as life seems to get back to normal over time or as things don't get back to normal, the enemy is going to press in on a phrase. And I'm sure you are so aware of this phrase in your life. And it is literally what we're talking about this morning, the phrase, not enough, not enough, that as a man, I constantly struggle with this belief that I am not enough, or I'm not doing enough, or there's not enough time to get things done, or there's not enough uh, resources for my family, there's not enough things to make the ends meet, there's not enough. Maybe right now in this season, as the summer has progressed, as COVID has progressed, so too has depression. And maybe for you, you're in a real season of not enough, that you feel like you're not enough, that you don't have enough strength, that you don't have enough energy, that there's not enough self-worth, value. I don't know, but what I do know is this not enough mentality is rampant. And I also know that our God takes not enough, and where the world says the enemy speaks not enough, he speaks, I'm enough. I'm sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. And so this is something that we are going to be pressing in on this morning. And that not enough mentality is going to be termed this morning as scarcity. Are you familiar with that word scarcity? When things are scarce is a literal problem in our world that there is a scarcity of resources, a scarcity of finances. Some of you have, have lived with a scarcity of time right now. Sometimes our families are plagued with a scarcity of emotional support. Maybe right now you feel like there's just not enough emotional support. Maybe you feel like there's a scarcity of love in your life, a scarcity of hope, a scarcity of confidence, of self-esteem. And I'm claiming today that our God, he takes scarcity, a built-in system of scarcity, and he brings in abundance. He brings in abundance. Am I right that he can take a fish, fish and loaves, that little boy's fish and loaves from last week's message, and he can feed the multitudes abundantly, that our God takes scarcity and brings abundance. Scarcity is a theory of the world, right? That there is not enough and we have to pursue and push and we have to, to fight off the others so that we can achieve and receive. Scarcity is a theory of the world, but abundance is the theory of heaven. Now listen, when I say abundance is a theory of heaven, abundance is not and cannot be defined by our flesh. 
It's not, it's not by, defined by what our flesh wants. It is solely defined by what God gives. And that's what separates what we're talking about this morning from, uh, from the, the gospel of prosperity, right? Prosperity gospel claims what your flesh wants is what God desires to give you. No, the abundance theory of heaven is that God gives his full grace and his grace is sufficient. And I will say we miss out on that a lot because we get plagued by our not enoughs, our not enoughs. And it's a perspective problem. This whole series has been talking about perspective problems, right? Things that we've been ingrained, habits that we've been ingrained to chase down, thoughts or beliefs, maybe things that we've been taught by our culture or taught by our families. We have a problem with our not enoughs, and it's in how we view them how we respond to them, how we perceive our not enoughs, what we do with them, how we have been conditioned to react toward them, uh, how we engage with them, how we talk about them, what we end up acting like when we're in them. These not enoughs are not the issue, it's how we perceive them and how we engage in them. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel has been in and out of seasons of scarcity, right? They've literally had famines and droughts. They've been in times of of, uh, turmoil and pain and times of blessings. Seasons of scarcity are throughout Scripture. And we're going to look this morning and this next week at uh, a beautiful book of Malachi, of Malachi, that literally tomorrow morning and on through Friday, we're going to dive into this on Declare Glory. I encourage you, follow that Instagram account. We're going to be praying through Malachi, but this book is a very specific book that hits on scarcity, where the people are and how they've been responding in their times of not enough, in their season of not enough. It is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you're open up there, it is right next to Matthew. In fact, many theologians think that the reason this is the last one, the last prophet spoke, is because the the 400 years to follow was just a continuation of Israel's scarcity. It was a continuation of their pain, and they needed the, the words of Malachi to ring true to them all the way up until the Messiah came. And so there's some powerful truths in this text, but let me just give you a little overview of what was going on so that you can understand how connected we are to this time. Israel at the time was dominated by Persians. They were dominated by Persians. They were under the King Darius's rule, his, King Darius III, and they were under his governments. And, and there was so much not enough. They had not enough freedom, not enough security, not enough power. And not only that, this season, all of their crops were being destroyed by locusts. And so they literally had not enough resources, not enough food. They had not enough supplies to pay. They had not enough uh, supplies to eat. They had not enough resources, not enough answers in their brain, not enough strength to keep going. And when we get in a season of not enough, we can spiral down or we can hand it over to the Lord. And this is very interesting because we see Israel doing the former, the first thing of spiraling down. And for 400 years, they lived in this season of scarcity, transitioning from under the Persians to under Alexander the Great and the Greeks and all the way to under the Romans. This is real. They're in a season of not enough. And Malachi came. 
God spoke specifically to Malachi to give Israel a warning, a word, a promise, a challenge, a command, and and hopefully a blueprint to lead them out of this pathway of scarcity that has spiraled them down, a journey that has taken them far away, and hopefully to give them this blueprint of where to go, how to turn. And this is where I want to dive into this morning because we have a not enough problem as well. Whether you are a part of a family, whether you are an individual, whether you are uh, a a divorced person, a single person, a a young adult, someone who's old, or a part of a a child in a family unit, uh, there is some not enoughs that we struggle with. And this road of scarcity that we can take sometimes is very negative, just like the Israelites. And we can see it in Scripture played out. That scarcity, this feeling of not enough, where Israel literally had not enough food, not enough resources, not enough supplies, it can lead us into fear, into fear and desperation. Have you ever been there where you have felt desperate for that provision, desperate for those supplies, desperate for that security and strength, and in their fear, they spiraled and it led them to compromise? Because when scarcity meets fear and desperation, it will inevitably lead us to compromise, to striving, to working and working and working. And so Malachi chapter 1, God speaks directly to the people through Malachi and says, you have despised my name. And then it picks up and says, yet you say, how have we despised your name? It's very interesting. This book is written very different than the others. It's this ongoing conversation between God and the people, yet God is just already knowing how they're going to respond. So he says, yet you say, how have we despised your name? And he says, by polluting, uh, by offering polluted food on my altar. And you say, how have we polluted it? And he says, by thinking that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice priests, is that not wrong? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not wrong? Try presenting that to your Persian governor. Try presenting it to them. Will he be pleased with you or have favor on you, says the Lord? And later on in this section, he's actually going to say, some of you take these animals by force or violence. You steal them to present them to me. Now, let me explain what's going on. Because in their season of not enough, they are deciding to take their, their, less, than, their less than animals and present them to God, thinking that we are still giving God what he's asked an offering. And this rationally makes sense. Think with a human brain. Literally, locusts are destroying their crops. They have to, if they're going to get enough food for their family and to provide, to to sell at the market, then they are going to need that strong bull that they would, uh, by the Levite law, have to to present as an offering. They need it in order to provide for their family. This makes sense. In a season of not enough, we get desperate, and so we cling, we keep. And so they're keeping their strong bull and presenting to God the leftovers, which in in all reality, it makes sense. That blind bull has no good for the field. It's not good for the harvest. This strong bull is. God wants me to have a good harvest, doesn't he? He wants me to provide for my family. And so I'll give him what isn't useful to me, this blind bull. I'll give him the lame and sick what uh, I can't use anyway. It's going to die anyways. I'm still honoring God with what I have. But I'm also providing for our family, right? Like, 
This is what he wants. And what happens over time is that uh, fear and desperation leads us to compromise. And often we never even notice that it's happening. They say, I need this bull. But God says, oh, that someone among you would close and shut the temple doors so that you would not kindle a fire on my altar in vain. Ouch, right? I have no pleasure in you, he says, for the, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hands. In chapter 2, God speaks directly to the priests. And he calls them out because in their compromise, they are beginning to instruct the people to do the same. They are afraid of not getting fed. They are afraid of not getting provided for, of having not enough. And so they are leading people to do things so that they can manipulate the way so they can still get fed. So their bellies will still be full and they've led people astray. In fact, what is happening is they're allowing people to abandon their wives, fleeing their responsibilities and pursuing the Persian women. And what happens in doing this is the men end up securing for themselves stability and, and they end up securing for themselves a satisfaction and maybe they didn't have it in their home, but they left their not enough, their literal not enough food at the table to pursue the Persian women with their gods, with their customs, and with their goods, all in hopes of claiming enough. This happens so much. In our compromise, we do the same. We seek to secure for ourselves a stability when we are in moments of scarcity. Where God says, I want you to seek me, we seek stability. And it's often in things of our own doing. When, when we feel like things are not enough, when we feel like uh, we are not being treated enough, when we feel like there's just not enough space here, we go plant over there. And we try to build over there. We try to create over there. And we leave behind responsibilities, duties, often in the church, the kingdom, all because we feel not enough. And our fear, our desperation, our desire to be enough leads us elsewhere. We start creating outside of our provision. Did you hear that? We start creating outside of our provision and in doing this compromise led them down and down and down. When I was looking at scarcity, the American Psychological Association did a whole study on scarcity that it is actually a huge part of why the cycle of poverty reigns true in our world, why the, the cycle of emotional neglect reigns true. And they said that the experience of scarcity and even the fear of it drains our mental faculties, narrowing our focus and impacting our choices that literally when we believe that we are not enough or do not have enough or that there is only a little bit and we have to achieve the enough or we are worried about not doing enough, something happens in our brains. It narrows our focus. We, we, we become distracted upon more opportunities and, and what may be really be going on in our life. It narrows our focus and it impairs our judgment. We start making wrong and faulty decisions. And so people remain in their pain. People remain in the cycle of depression. People remain in the cycle of poverty. It begins to be what is taught in their family. This is how we deal with our not enoughs. And this is something that has to end. We become desperate when we're in scarcity. We become impatient. And impatient people do bad things, right? Impatient people compromise. We become impatient. We become uh, the people who make bad decisions when we didn't used to. 
We make bad decisions in our families, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our alone time. We make bad decisions. We start creating satisfaction elsewhere, and it ends up hurting those around us, like the Israelites, who kept the good, who kept the good and gave the leftovers. We, too, do the same thing. We withhold our time from God. We withhold our time from those around us. We withhold our resources, our love, our, our commitment, our gifts, everything that we think is, is enough. It's, it's going to achieve for us that enough. We withhold it, keep it held in. And what ends up happening is we present to God and to those around us our leftovers, a faulty offering. And I'll ask, have you ever been hurt by someone who gave you their leftovers? This is what is communicated sometimes in our families. We've all been hurt by people who've given us their leftovers because they're withholding their love out of this fear of not enough, out of the scarcity mindset, out of the scarcity theory. They're, they're withholding and they're presenting the leftovers and that damages people, hurts people, leads people into more pain and ultimately angers our God who's longing to provide for us and the feeling of not enough. It will always lead us to compromise, right? If we, if we allow fear and desperation to take root. And for the people of Israel, when compromise happened, the next step came. Resentment came knocking at their door. Resentment. Resentment is always the next step when we start pushing, pointing our finger at people who, who maybe have enough and we get bitter and angry. Resentment is often when we point at God saying, you're not giving us enough. Or we get frustrated in our family because there's other people who aren't pursuing the enough as much as we are. You know that resentment has taken a hold, a foothold in your family because uh, people have used uh, the tool of guilt tripping. Do you have guilt tripping in your home? Uh, guilt tripping is literally the, the way of, of an, an individual manipulating the odds because they feel like there's not enough. Maybe there's not enough money, so we need to guilt trip our family into not spending as much. Maybe there's not enough time, so we need to guilt trip our family into, into spending more time with us. Maybe we, we have a not enough uh, identity or self-esteem, and so we guilt trip others to give us value. Guilt trip, and what ends up happening, right, is it makes us resent those who are guilt tripping us. And when we guilt trip others, we get resentful because they're sometimes not doing it. They're not doing it. And there is resent that happens. And for the people of Israel who are pointing fingers at God saying, you owe us, you owe us, they were getting resentful. And it's interesting, theologians point out the need for this text for the Israel because there were two extremes. People were resenting God and the people were even going as far as the next step in scarcity, which is they were being indifferent to God. You see scarcity when fear it leads to compromise and resentment. It will ultimately lead us to a place of indifference where you will leave your wife, where you will leave your God, where you will leave it because you have this lack of care. You will, you will self-deprecate because you have a lack of care. You are not enough and you become indifferent. A lack of care. But Malachi does not end there. 
He has this call from God to deliver them from this evil road, this wrong road, this scarcity theory of the world, and bring them into a theory of abundance. And so there's a different road that we see mapped out in Malachi. And I just want to dive into that as we end this morning, because instead of scarcity leading to fears, God is calling them to come back to him. Literally, he says, return to me and I will return to you. Thus says the Lord, return to me. It's just like where he says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. I know it sounds so cheesy, but instead of allowing fear and desperation to create our plan, we must go to God. We must come to me, all you who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. We must come to him. Come to him. And not this isn't coming to him with this submission of all of our wants. Everything that we think will make us enough or give us enough or be the, the provision that will make us uh, happy. No, we come to him for him. We come to him for him. We go to him before we create our false plans made by fear and desperation and ultimately what comes next is surrender. What comes next is surrender, that scarcity through God. When we come to him with our not enoughs, we will inevitably, inevitably surrender. We'll surrender. We'll surrender our definitions of what we think should be enough. We will surrender our, our plans. Often we create blueprints in our life, right? When you feel like there's not enough going on or you're not enough, we create for ourselves this blueprint, this plan to get out of it. When we surrender to God in our places of scarcity, we also hand over our blueprints because often those are made out of desperation. We hand over our need to say, but I need this bull. The plan to take this bull into the harvest. No, we hand over that plan, that blueprint, because he has a different one for us. We, we hand over our fallback plans, our success plans. We hand over our wants, our doubts, our beliefs. We give him the good, the whole self, our time, our talents, our resources, he gets them first. He literally says in verse 10 to the people of Israel, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Surrender the full tithe, that full bull, the thing that you are withholding, surrender it so that there may be food in my house for all. Food for the priests, food for the Levites, food for all. Bring so that I may be pleased. In other words, like surrender everything that you are holding on to, that which you think is going to provide enough one day, hand it over. Give it to me first. And I love this. He says uh, that, and put me to the test. Put me to the test, says the Lord, because what I know to be true, we see this throughout scripture, is that when we go to God in a time of scarcity, when we surrender in a time of scarcity, he will always provide. And he's not gonna provide in a way that ultimately that our scarcity of the flesh wants to speak it to be, he will provide in exactly what our soul needs. And he continues, he, he literally says, see if I will not open windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locust for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your crops. He says, put me to the test. Literally, I can do more with that bull than you can with the bull. I can do more with you giving me your time than you can do with your time. I can do more. Put me to the test. I will provide when you hand over your resources to me, when you hand over your trust to me, when you hand over your doubts to me, when you hand over your, uh, your finances, 
your gifts to me. I can do more with them than you could on your own, than you could with that harvest. In fact, I am the God of the locusts. Everything that you are using to combat the bad, if you give it to me, I can just, I can literally rebuke the bad and be done. Think about this. He's telling them, I can put an end to what your very best is striving to work against. Let that sit in. That bull that is there striving to work against uh, the locust, that very best, God can do. He can do more. And not only that, he can put an end to everything we are striving to end, to work against. We, we don't even know how to end the locust, but we know how to strive against the harvest. And in our striving, we're forsaking a God who can just call it off. That's the power of our God. That's the power of his provision. And in this provision, it leads ultimately to the last thing, abundance. Abundance. He says, for those who revere my name, I love this. This is how Malachi ends. For those who revere my name, this is a prophecy of the coming Jesus. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, you shall, and you shall go out leaping like calves, calves from the stall. There is healing in store. When we revere his name, uh, when we go to him in our, in our seasons of not enough, in our beliefs of not enough, when we go to him with surrender, when we go to him with surrender, and that leads ultimately to seeing his provision, not in what we thought it would be, but what it is in reality. Abundance comes knocking, all because we came to him, all because we waited on him, all because we didn't stop and create elsewhere, but we waited on him. We fasted for him. And let me tell you again, abundance is not experienced through us performing. It's not experienced through performance. It's experienced through a perspective change all the way at the very beginning. Those who revere my name, whose hearts honor me, who come to me with their need, who come to me, who revere my name, they will leap like caps. They will experience healing. There will be life abundant for them. And it's very interesting as we end, uh, I think of the story of Elijah and the widow. Do you know that story? where there was a literal drought, a famine going on in, in the nation of Israel, and Elijah came to the widow, and they're both hungry, and the widow is in a season of scarcity of her own, season of not enough, maybe not enough support, not enough hope, and yet Elijah asks if she can bake him some bread. She has a jar of flour and a jar of oil, and he asks if, they, he, if she can bake him bread, enough for both of them, and he promises that every day there will be enough. You see, we always at times believe abundance to be everything. It'll be the answer to everything, but that's not often what abundance is. Most of the time, abundance is coming back to that jar of flour every day, coming back to the jar of oil every day, and realizing that there is just enough for today, just enough for you, and just enough for another. Now, isn't that the gospel? Did you hear me? The gospel is this life abundantly where God gives us grace, enough grace for today, abundantly, for us and for us to give to another. That's the beauty of our gospel, the abundant life, where scarcity uh, in one way through fear leads to indifference and selfishness. 
abundance, right? The scarcity through God, when we hand it over to him, it leads to abundance and generosity, a, a blessing that blesses others. And this is what we need. Our church needs it. You see, you have been neglecting those around you. You've been neglecting what the gospel stands for by when we, we pursue outside. The gospel is all about abundant life. This life that gives when we submit. And it's not even about us receiving it, right? It's about what we do then with it. This, uh, this widow was able to bless Elijah. And I love it because there's always going to be haves and have-nots in a world, right? There's always going to be someone who has more than us. This widow could look at a prince of the day and, and believe that she's in scarcity even with a jar full of flour every day because he has a pantry full. He has wives and concubines and she has no husband. She's still alone. The, the not enoughs still reign true in her, but she saw God's provision and that realized in her mind that there's abundance at work in her home. Abundance that feeds her and another there's always going to be not haves and have-nots, but we have to keep perspective on the God who is providing. Think about what this would do to our family, where we would rewrite the cycle of scarcity and bring in a cycle of abundance. What would that do to your parents? What would that do to your marriage to, to ca take capture all of those thoughts of not enough and submit them to God and see his abundance? What would it do in your workplace for you to be able to have the abundant grace that is enough for you today and enough for you to give to another? Who would be blessed by that? Who around you would be benefited by the abundance, the abundance of life that you have? What would our city look like? What would our church look like as the next few weeks happen, as the next few months happen? I don't know what's in store. I don't know what season of scarcity is to come, but church, we must go to God and surrender experience and call out and worship him for his blessings and then give in abundance as we receive it. This is the call that we must live. This is the cycle that we must teach. And this is how chains will be broken, generational change. Chains will be broken in us. Will you pray with me, God, right now? In all honesty, where people are sitting, they may be very well be in a hard season of scarcity, where they have been uh, believing over and over because it's reality that they have not enough, that there is not enough. It is real. Maybe they feel like they are not enough. And everything around them has pointed that out. But God, right now, today, can we, instead of allowing fear to lead us into desperation and compromise, may we confess and surrender. May we come to you with our very best. May we hand over and let you take it. Forgive us for all the times that we have created apart from your provision, where we have left behind your church, your people, your workplace, your working to do our own. Out of this fear of being not enough, we're having not enough. God, forgive us for the scarcity mindset, and I pray that we will start taking hold of your provision and experience an abundance that gives abundantly. Today, God, press on us the person that we are to bless with the grace that you've given for us today, that you have given me enough grace today to last in abundantly, to last 
with abundance, but also you've given me enough grace to give to another. And so, God, let me see that clearly and let me respond to it clearly. For your glory, Jesus, I pray this over our church, over the individuals watching this who, who feel alone and isolated and the people who are watching this and listening who are far out of this city. I pray abundance. I pray abundance. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com. Thank you.